The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? I am Raymond Summerlin, your host for this edition of the Roto World Football Podcast, and I will be joined today as I am every single Thursday by Rich Rebar to discuss the Thursday night game, an exciting Thursday night game this week, as well as the most interesting data points from his weekly worksheet column. And then later I'll be joined by Nick Minzio, who has the most important starts and sets for week five of the fantasy football season, season just flying by. Before we get to that, however, I would like to remind you to rate and review the podcast wherever you find it. It helps other people find the show. It helps us in the rankings. So we very, very much appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate those of you who have already done it as well. With that out of the way, let's get to it. What's going on, Rich? Hey, man, like you said, here we are week five already. We got the first stretch of bye weeks and, you know, combined with the carnage that happened last week, you know, hopefully your rosters are still intact. We had a lot of really good players, you know, kind of leave games with injuries and a guy like Julio Jones is going to be on bye anyways. But, you know, Marcus Mariota, Dalvin Cook was a big one. You know, I felt that Dalvin Cook sting in a lot of leagues. And, it hurt, uh, man. I, it hurt. I still haven't really recovered from that, so... Uh, but, you know, hopefully you survive the carnage, you know, and with the bye weeks couple on that, you still are able to start, you know, a full roster this week. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting times here, you know, that we're quarter way into the season. I have a dynasty team that I think has like six of my starters on bye. It's just a weird bye week that has mm-hmm. a lot of you know, the Falcons, the Saints, uh, Washington, you know, it's Denver. It's a, it's a tough bye week. And then you add the injuries. I think there was one league, I had one league where I had to put in, I wasn't trying to get all of these players, but you only have to put in, like, see if you don't get this player, get this player. I think I had 14 transactions in before waivers <laughs> ran. 14. It was crazy. But, you know, moving ahead, moving forward. And like I said at the top, this is this is an exciting Thursday night game. You know, following Mike Glennon's last stand last week, we, we have one which is features two offenses, which, you know, should be able to move the ball at will this week because the defenses that they're facing are not very good, or at least have not been very good to this point. The over-under in this game, I checked before we started recording, we record on Wednesdays, was 55 points. I think it was 55 and a half at one point earlier in the week. So we're looking at what should be a high-scoring game, which, as we know, means it's probably going to finish 13-10. But assuming that it's going to be a high-scoring game, I mean, this is a situation where you start everyone, I think. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, we were joking for the show. I mean, we probably have more luck just going through the players we don't want to play in this game than, you know, talking about every good play that is available. Because like you said, I mean, both of these defenses have just been so poor. I mean, New England is allowing the most passing points per drive to opposing quarterbacks, while Tampa Bay is allowing the second most. 
New England has allowed the second most passing yards through in franchise history, their their entire franchise history, you know, through four weeks. They woke up the the spirit of Cam Newton last week that we weren't sure ever could possibly resurrected. And I'm still not sure it was because if you watch that game, it's not like Cam Newton made NFL throws in that game. Dudes were just running all alone. And, you know, we're yeah. he, they're going to be facing, going on the road to face Jameis Winston, who's thrown for 300 yards against the Giants defense and the Vikings defense in back-to-back weeks. So, I mean, it's pretty much wheels up on just about everything. I think the only guys I'm looking at that I think, I only wrote two guys up in the bust portion of the worksheet, and they were Mike Gillisley. And I wouldn't mind if you played Mike Gillisley because we know what you're playing Mike Gillisley for. If it's going to be a high-scoring game, you just play him that hopefully falls into the end zone. But, I mean, Tampa Bay has been really good against the run still, despite their injuries. They're allowing just 2.7 yards per carry to backs and 65 yards rushing to backfields. And the Patriots just haven't been able to run the football effectively at all. So, I mean, you can chase that touchdown. And then the other only guy I think I wouldn't play is probably O.J. Howard just because you're chasing a busted play. He's only got four catches on the year. He's not a dude like you're really counting on. Other than that, I mean, I think everyone, all the way down to Adam Humphreys, like we talked about before the show. I mean, Adam Humphreys didn't play this week. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think it's everyone. One of the craziest things that I think about this game, which could be crazy, is these are two defenses that have gotten, like, Zero pressure. The Bucks are last in the league in adjusted sack rate. The Patriots are 29th in the league in adjusted sack rate. So you're facing you know two secondaries who are struggling. Although I will say Brent Grimes came back last week was exceptional. So if he's back, maybe that Tampa Bay secondary is is more more formidable than maybe it, certainly than it looked against the Vikings when he wasn't in there. But two secondaries struggling a little bit. No pass rush. That's the makings of big big fantasy days there's also a really weird weird thing about this game this is tom brady's first ever game in tampa bay that can't be true like did they play they played in london his only time that they played against them on the road was in london that's an that's un that's an unbelievable stat uh and so it's on a short week they're still somehow five point favorites five and a half point favorites i don't understand that i'm with you on the gillisley thing i you know if you look at the Everything in this game, the only thing that looks like it's difficult is Tampa Bay's run defense. Just 2.7 yards per carry to running backs this season. The fifth best adjusted line yards, according to football outsiders. This is a this is a pretty stout run defense. And as always with Gillis Lee, you're worried about game flow. When you go in and look at, you know, wh- where have his carries been? He has just 12 carries the last two weeks. In both of those games, they were both close games. I think if he's going to get to... 17, 18 carries, that's going to require them to be in good game scripts for most of the second half. I don't think that's going to happen. Even as five-point favorites, I don't think that's happening in this game. I think that line is is a little bit off. And like you said, you're hoping for a touchdown. Is that going to happen? I don't know. But if you look at the other running back in that backfield, James White, they the Bucks have given up a lot of catches to running backs this year. They gave up eight to Tariq Cohen for 55 yards in week two. They gave up five for 72 to Dalvin Cook in week three. They didn't give up too many to the to the Giants, but Wayne Gallman had a receiving touchdown. If I'm looking at these two guys, even in standard leagues, it's, it's di- difficult in standard leagues, but especially in PPR, I think I'm going to have White ranked higher. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally on board with you, and for the reasons. And White kind of got back into the into the mix, you know, heavily last week. Um, he played a season high snap share last week, and he's been a top 30 scoring back in three of his four games. And he's got two weeks as a top 20 option, so he's had a ceiling this year too in PPR leagues. I'm real curious before we move on from this game, though, since you are the are the official um, uh, Doug Martin aficionado at Roto World. I, I need the Doug Martin. I, I need the take this week on Doug Martin. Maybe not aficionado is not the word. A uh, fanboy. 
That's that's the word. I am I am the number one. I am the driver of the Doug Martin bandwagon. I, I guess Chris Harris and, and myself, we are the drivers, the co-pilots of the bandwagon, as it were. I am. I don't really know what to do with him, and I don't. I don't think that anybody could confidently say what's going to happen. The Bucks are obviously holding their cards close to the vest, as they should. They should be coy about this. It makes no sense for them to come out and say exactly how they're going to handle this situation. Jaquiz Rogers has been fine in the first three games. Not great. He played pretty good against the Giants, but the Giants have had a shockingly bad run defense so far this year. He wasn't very good against the Vikings. And, you know, you can't really go back to last year and, and see what happened when Martin came back from injury that first game back. He had, I believe, 16 carries, but Jaquiz Rogers was hurt in that game. They didn't really have anybody else except for Peyton Barber. So it's, you know, and it was coming back from an injury. It wasn't coming back from a suspension. He had been with the team and practicing. So I don't know how you really decide. What I will say is this is such a good matchup, especially from a passing perspective. I mean, New England has been, has been, has given up a lot of points through the air to running backs. So I think that Martin's a better fit in that situation. I'm starting him. I, th- I think I will have him in my top 24 running backs for sure, but I'm definitely not going to have him where I would normally have him in this matchup. If we knew he was going to get you know his normal workload, he'd be a top 12 running back for sure. I don't think he's that, but I think that there's no way you can pass on him in this matchup because he's very clearly the best running back that they have when he is healthy. And so I think he's going to get the carries. But like I said, I, I can't say that for sure. What about you? I don't think I can lay it out any better than you just did right there. <laughs> so one more guy. I'm all in on Deshaun Jackson this week. You know, he had he had a bit of a tantrum on the sideline after the failed two-point conversion last week. And then after the game, Dirk Cutter wasn't mad about the tantrum. He's like, he should be upset. We have to get him the ball. Jameis Winston missed him a couple times, missed him on a deep shot. So... I'm, I'm thinking they're trying to get him involved. And I mean, you look at the Patriots, you talked about it, just people running free, blown coverage. They've given up the third most catches of more than 20 yards. You mentioned Humphreys. I like Humphreys as well. I think I'm starting Humphreys in a couple leagues. I'm, I'm all in on Deshaun Jackson this week. How about you? Yeah, I mean, for the same reasons that you said. I mean, it, these I'm, I can't remember a Patriots defense. I think 2012 that was the year the Patriots just like played in all these shootouts. And they just, they were just, they got roasted by quarterbacks all year long, I think, that year. And we just targeted receivers and quarterbacks against them. I want to say it was 2012. And I feel like this is setting up to be like that kind of year again. Because you said these guys are just, guys are just running free at will. I mean, you think about the touchdowns they've given up. And you just go, if you're just to go back and watch all the passing touchdowns they've allowed, guys are just all alone on almost all these touchdowns. And if you're going to have a guy that's going to get free in like a jailbreak situation, I mean, Deshaun Jackson's the guy in that offense for Tampa Bay. I mean, uh, so I mean I'm looking at him uh, like I mean like I said we can go we can easily just talk about the guys we don't like in this game other than getting everyone out. We, I mean Quan Alexander and Levante Davids to look out. So I mean it's all systems go for Gronk. I mean it's it's wheels up on all these passing games. So hopefully we're not let down and, and bite that Thursday night bullet like we have before. I said last one. I guess we do have to talk about Cameron Brait who had who had a big game. Came up came up in live in the fourth quarter. Had a touchdown. That might have actually been in the third quarter, but had a late touchdown. Caught the pass that set up the game-winning field goal in that game. Had a big game. We saw O.J. Howard had his one play, but it was really just one play. The problem with Braid is, you know, he's not really running the routes. I believe he's got to run the 26 most routes uh, since they, since Tampa Bay, you know, started their seasons in the last three weeks among tight ends. Like, it's, it's below Kobe Fleener even over that time. It's a great matchup. 
Are you concerned, however, about his usage? I mean, I'm a little bit concerned about, like you said, just the the raw volume. He's, you know, running about, what, 22 routes per game. I mean, that's not not where you want it to be. I mean, that's kind of around. That's kind of what Kyle Rudolph's doing at this point, yeah. too, and we saw that's worked out. But he's, if you look back to last year and into this year, I mean, he's the guy when they are inside the 10, like, that's where the ball's going to Cameron Brait. I mean, so, I mean, in a high-scoring game where you expect the ball to be moved up and down the field and given the layout of the tight end position, I mean, I don't mind playing him knowing that his floor is is not really extremely higher uh, than most tight ends um, just because the position itself um, is, is worth chasing touchdowns for and everything sets up for, like, if you're going to chase a touchdown guy in a passing game at in the position at, of tight end, like, he fits that bill in this game. So, I mean, I'm fine with throwing him out. He's going to – he'll probably never move up, like, higher than lower low, – like, a lower-end tight end one for me, like, ever. Um, but this is – that's where he's going to be this week, too. How about Brait in this matchup? Or Austin Safarian Jenkins against the Browns, who can't stop any tight end, except for Jack Doyle. Cannot stop any tight end not named Jack Doyle. Which one of those two do you like better this week? It's tough, man. That's a tough call. Because I, I think just looking at what Brait has shown just from the touchdown department, I would probably lean Brait. And being in a game that features more points, I would lean Brait. Uh, ASJ still has yet to you know, get, get those you know, money touches, those money targets yet. Uh, so, I mean, I love the matchup, and I wish that we could talk about ASJ again this week, but we fired our bullet last week, you know, when we get to the tight ends later. Uh, because, yeah, if you look at the guys that have – like, like, the Browns are giving up, like, oodles of points to the tight ends, but look at who they – look at these guys. Two tight, two touchdowns to Jesse James. I mean, 37-year-old Ben Watson, 8 for 91. Uh, Jack Doyle, you know, RIP Jack Doyle. Uh, and then Tyler Croft comes and has like Gronkonian-like game against them last week. Like this, these aren't like the, these aren't the Travis Kelseys and the Zach Ertz of the world. They're doing this to the Browns. They are just bleeding points to just the natural like ebb and flow of the position, which is just extremely wild when you look at the guys that have put points up on them. Yeah, and I think for that reason, I might go, I might go with Ferry and Jenkins. But of course, I I am. Um... I'm also driving that bandwagon. I'm driving two bandwagons at the same time. It is. Uh, I'm there. I wouldn't push back. I wouldn't push back on it if you if you went that way. Right? It's it's not safe, not wise, but but there we are. All right, let's get to your worksheet. Which I'll say it again. I say it every week. You have to read the worksheet. Go and read the worksheet. Make sure you read it every week before you set your lineups. And let's get started with Carson Palmer, who I see has more of a stat compiler this year than than a good player so far, but. No, it's difficult to blame him considering the amount of pressure he has faced. Now he gets an Eagles front, which has probably underperformed a little bit, but can still get a lot of pressure. With that kind of matchup that he on the road, are you still trusting him this week? I mean, it's a rough week for those searching for good quarterback options between, you know, Cousins, Ryan, and Breeze on by, and then Carr and Mariota possibly missing out to go along with some tricky matchups given in the landscape. I mean, even with some warts, uh, this being a road game on an early kickoff where Arizona has kind of faltered repeatedly, you know, since the start of last year, and the offensive line, like you said, eventually he's going to get killed uh, this season, or his arm's going to fall off, one of the two. Uh, I mean, this is about as attractive as you can find, like, out in the streets this week at week five, like, if he's out there, you know, to find quarterback play. Uh, you know, just 16% of Arizona's offensive yard just come from rushing. That's the lowest rate in the NFL. While 80% of the yardage gained against the Eagles has come from passing, which is the second highest rate in the league. I mean, Philadelphia is, allow- is 29th in passing yards allowed per possession. Uh, while Palmer averages 26.2 yards per possession, which is seventh among quarterbacks. I mean, they can't run the football. It's set up to be a pass funnel defense is what the Eagles have. So, I mean, it's all on synchronicity. Like you said, I think calling the stat compiler 
is, is, is pretty accurate. And Palmer's yet to have a high ceiling week, and I, I don't even know if that's the case here, uh, but he's passed over 300 yards in each of the past three weeks. The Eagles have allowed 19.5 points per game over the past three weeks to Alex Smith, Eli Manning, and Phillip Rivers. I think that Palmer kind of fits in that same bucket of passers as those guys for fantasy purposes. So, I mean... It's a rough week out there. I think that if you're really fishing for a quarterback play, like he's a guy, given the week, is probably going to turn in like a lower like QB1, high QB2 type game. Yeah, I'm, I'm very worried about the hits he's taken, but if he's going to throw 50 times against this secondary, that's, that's certainly a good option, like you said, because there's not much available on the wire. In fact, Palmer is owned in more than 50% of Yahoo League, so it, it's, it's rough out there this week. Go get Deshaun Watson. I guess that would be, that would be my, my advice. Of course... You know, we're looking at Carson Palmer. His success could hinge on that of Larry Fitzgerald, who you know, was able to come down with the game-winning touchdown and often in overtime last week, but he was somewhat disappointing, I think, in that game. Are you expecting better against the Eagles? Yeah, you know, we, we doubled down at the QB wide receiver stack last week, so, our, so we're going to go back to it again. Uh, you know, like you said, his, his targets have kind of bounced up and down to start the year, and they've also been in kind of unison with, like, Jerron Brown's spike weeks. Uh, but this, So this every other week target coaster should rise again in Fitzgerald's favor this week. The Eagles have allowed four top ten scoring receivers just over the past two weeks. And over that span, they've allowed seven for 133 and one, which could have easily been two or three scores to Sterling Shepard, and five for 138 on 11 targets to Keenan Allen, two guys who play inside more often than not. So, I mean, the other Cardinals receivers are all solid options here if you're trying to fill your wide receiver slot. But I think this sets up for another another play, the up-and-down game for Larry Fitzgerald's target share. Yeah, it's funny, his targets, what they go with for like 13 to 6 to 15 to 7. So, yeah, so maybe we're... Maybe we're on maybe we're on the upturn this time. You know, you wouldn't have known it last year, but as it turns out, Todd Gurley is good at football. As we all thought that he would be coming in, you get a real offensive coordinator in there, and it turns out that he's actually pretty good. He's been even better than good in fantasy this season. The Seahawks, you know, that name on the schedule is going to scare some people, but they probably shouldn't be that scared this week, right? Yeah, you know, for as much as he was a punching bag over the last 18 months, like Gurley deserves this. Uh, you know, but but no matter what you want to credit for Gurley's resurgence to, I mean, he's he's just hitting at such an elite level. Uh, in this Rams offense, he's being used in the same capacity that we saw Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson used a year ago. You know, players who carried fantasy teams to title town. Uh, in, in fact, Gurley actually has 38.6 more PPR points than David Johnson had at this point last year. He's got the six most PPR points ever for a running back through four weeks of the season. I mean, he leads the NFL in touches. He's third uh, of all running backs in target market share. And if we just use Todd Gurley's receiving output alone, he'd be the wide receiver 11 on the season. I mean, a lot has been made about Gurley's schedule so far and his upcoming schedule, like you kind of alluded to. But it appears to be far worse for the Rams' passing game than Gurley uh, than for Gurley himself, if the way it looks out. I mean, this week he gets the Seattle team allowing 5.1 yards per carry to running backs, followed by a game with Jacksonville, who's allowing as many rushing yards per attempt as they are passing yards per attempt. I don't know if that's ever happened in the NFL before. Uh, and then, you know, even a future date with the Giants, you know, coming out of their bye week doesn't look as daunting as it may have, you know, after week one. So mea culpa to Todd Gurley and from the fantasy community, uh, you deserve it. Yeah, and I, I got a question about Gurley. Should I sell high Gurley's upcoming schedule in a chat I did earlier this week? And I said, his upcoming schedule is not as bad as you think it is. We saw what the Jets did to the Jaguars. That's not tough at all. The Seahawks, like you said, I mean, the Seahawks have already given up. 
five runs of 20 or more yards this season. They gave up five all of last season. It just hasn't been working. The Giants, that's not a matchup you're scared of. This is this has turned suddenly into not so bad of a schedule. And with all of the work that he's getting, yeah, you're going to have to start him every single week. A guy that I have not been interested in starting at all this season is Antonio Gates, who has not topped 30 yards in a game to this point. He has a great matchup against the previously mentioned Giants who only apparently defend receivers well and then have decided they don't want to play any other defense. They were shredded by both Bucks tight ends last week, gave up two long plays that just they just lost them, just lost the tight ends. Can you justify playing Gates? Regardless of what he's done, based on this matchup, can you justify playing him this week? Yeah, I wanted to double dip like I alluded to with ASJ again this week after seeing Tyler Croft add his name to the list of future Hall of Fame tight ends that have torched the Browns. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll mix it up by talking about the long-running acceptance the Giants have had for allowing tight ends to continue to toast their toast their defense. They have allowed the second most receptions and yards and the most touchdowns and fantasy points to the position so far to start the year. Uh, they Them and Washington are the only teams that have allowed a tight end one scoring week in every game this season. In fact, the Giants have allowed five in four weeks since they gave that huge play to O.J. Howard. Um, picking out a Los Angeles Charger tight end to go with this, that was a tough task, and I would definitely not push back on anyone chasing the upside Hunter Henry has. Uh, but Gates is the guy getting the most consistent opportunity. I mean, Antonio Gates has run 97 routes compared to just 62 for Hunter Henry. He's out-targeted Henry in three of the four games this season. As the Giants kind of naturally funnel targets away from receivers and inside, I mean... It's not completely sexy, but say you missed out on ASJ or Cameron Brait the past two weeks because owners were chasing those guys in matchups last week and may have just held on. Uh, Antonio Gates or Hunter Henry might be the best guy you can find you know, out on waivers now. Yeah, I mean, he has three targets inside the 10 already this season. We know he can convert in those situations. I would not be shocked if he showed up with a touchdown this week, but he also might just show up for you know two catches for 18 yards. So it certainly is, <laughs> certainly is a tough option. Thanks as always, Rich. Remember, you can find his worksheet column on rotorworld.com. As we speak, go and read it. Make sure you read it every single week. You can also find him on Twitter, at Lord Reeves, and I will be back with Nick Minzio in just a second. And we are back with Nick Minzio, who writes... Stardom and Sidem every week at rotoworld.com. It's going to be up a little bit later this week. It might not be up when you're listening to this, but by Thursday afternoon, certainly should be up. So make sure you give that a read. Certainly before you set your lineups on Sunday, make sure you read that column. What's going on, Nick? What's up, Ray? Just, you know, living the dream, living the dream, my friend. Surprised that it's only week five and I'm already very tired, but the buys are here. So we have a little less football to watch on Sunday. And that also means you have fewer players to pick from. So it gets a little bit tougher on the starts and sits. So let's get started with a guy who I am completely on board with this week, and that's Austin Safarian Jenkins going up against the Browns. I have to assume his matchup has a lot to do with why you like him. Yeah, no doubt. That matchup's great. And then coming off his two-game ban, he's played 77% of the snaps, seen 11 total targets, catching nine of them for 77 yards. Nothing flashy, but it's good volume for that position. And he gets that prime spot against the Browns, like you said. They've cu- they coughed up two touchdowns to Jesse James in week one. Another two last week to Tyler Croft, his career day. Won someone a milli on, the, on DraftKings last week. So let's go back and pick on the Browns again with ASJ. I mean, he's a great streamer in, in redraft and then a cheap DFS play as well. 
And I mean, I asked Rich about this earlier because we talked about Austin Safarian Jenkins. He is high on Cameron uh, Brait for for obvious reasons. So I asked him, who would you play? Cameron Brait against the Patriots, Austin Safarian Jenkins against the Browns. It's a tough decision. Where where would you fall on that one? Oh man, that is tough. You gotta love the total in that Bucks Patriots game. And they could there could be a lot of a lot of yards, a lot of points put up, but man, I just I just feel like ASJ is just in a prime spot and I like to think about it a little bit more and ASJ playing on Sunday gives me a little more time to think about that. Yeah, I think I, I think I fall on that side too, but it's it's a close one. It's it's a very close one and uh you're you're right. That we talked about at the top of the top of the show. That is going to be a shootout. So maybe that leans right ways. I don't know. I'm back and forth. I can't I continue to go back and forth. Let's move on to Buck Allen, who after I think what most people would characterize as disappointing two games, you're on the Buck Allen bandwagon this week. So so what do you like? Yeah, he had a massive disappointment in, in London a couple weeks back against the Jaguars, like you said, but he bounced back a little bit last week, catch six ball six balls against the Steelers. Nothing to write home about by any means, but you know those those PPR points are pretty valuable at this stage of the game at running back. We're just desperate for points at that at that spot, and now he gets a great draw against the Raiders. Defense has surrendered the fifth most receiving yards to the to running backs and is dead last in DVOA at covering the position. So I really like Allen in this spot. He's playing sixty percent of the snaps since Week One when Danny Woodhead got hurt, and Alex Collins is the new uh, flavor of the week or flavor of the past two weeks at running back. But he's He's just an early down guy. He doesn't really affect Buck Allen's snaps at all. Yeah, I think you made the point perfectly there. Allen is still averaging over 35 snaps a game, had over 40 last week. Even if Alex Collins takes Terrence West out of the equation, I mean, that still doesn't affect what Allen's doing. I think Allen's going to get his, and I like it. I think you know there's a chance here for, for a bit of a bounce back in a decent matchup. All right, let's move on to the sits. And first up is Martavis Bryant, who has had some chances to make big plays this season. It really hasn't happened except for one. He's had some end zone targets, still hasn't happened. And it sounds like you do not expect him to suddenly make good on those chances this week. Yeah, I mean, Bryant's always a threat for a long touchdown, maybe two in a game, but this is just one of the the hardest spots you could imagine. The, the Jaguars are number one against the pass in DVOA and in just total yards allowed, allowing just 147 yards passing through the air per game so far this season. And Bryant runs over 50% of his snaps from the right side of the formation and will likely draw a ton of Jalen Ramsey in this one. And among 110 qualified corners at Pro Football Focus, Ramsey's 23.4 passer rating allowed in his coverage is second best to just Brandon Carr. So nothing's really pointing in Bryant's favor. And I mean, you're just playing him for the hope that he scores a long touchdown. And I just, he's just been a huge disappointment through four weeks. Only topped 48 yards in the game once so far. So I'm just, I just don't like this spot at all for him. And Juju Smith-Schuster is you know coming on. He's played actually more snaps and run more routes the last two weeks than Martavis Bryant. So that's a concern. You mentioned it. It's you're going out on a limb here because there's always a chance that he just Martavis Bryant's a play and you know he gets a long touchdown and that's all she wrote. But it is a very, very bad spot. All right, let's finish up with Marshawn Lynch, who has been a massive disappointment the last two weeks. Now they have EJ Manuel starting at quarterback. The Ravens have been run on a little bit recently, but you know. That was against teams that didn't have EJ Manuel starting at quarterback. So not a light, lot to like here, right? Yeah, you touched on pretty much everything I'm going to say here. But Lynch is averaging just, averaging just nine carries per game over the past three weeks. It was Ooh. after after uh, seeing 18 in week one. He's only playing 38% of the snaps in that span as well after playing 47% in week one. So his playing time is just coming down a lot. I was actually really down on Lynch in the summer and I was kind of scared after week one. I'm like, man, I missed that, missed that one totally. But past three weeks, I haven't 
been, I mean, I haven't regretted it at all. He's just done nothing. Now he gets to run in an offense, like you said, with EJ Manuel at quarterback. The Ravens are just definitely going to stack the box, going to make Manuel, Manuel beat them, and I just don't see him doing it. And, this, and it's not like Lynch is an outlet guy that Manuel can dump passes off to because he only, he only has like three catches on the season. That's going to be DeAndre Washington's role. So I just don't like the spot at all for Lynch. Yeah, and I mean, the Ravens have been run on a bit recently, but it's it's tough. It is really tough for Lynch right now, which I, you know, after the first two weeks, people were getting really concerned about him, especially after week two. And I was like, you know, I'm. this is what we had to expect from him, that he was not going to get all the carries and we would see what happens. But this is even worse than than what I expected. So I'm with you there for sure. Thanks as always, Nick. Remember, you can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Minzio. You can also follow Rich at Lord Reeves. I'm on Twitter at RM Summerlin. Also, do not forget to rate and review wherever you find the podcast. And Nick and I will be back to talk to you next week. field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keep for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.